in our series on following Jesus. This morning, I'd like us to ask the question, are you a believer or a disciple? What's the difference between a believer and a disciple? (coughs) Well, in some respects, the names can mean the same thing. And we often use them interchangeably. But... But in some respects, the names can mean something different. They can mean, on the one hand, somebody who just believes that Jesus exists, that he's uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. There are many people who are believers in that sense, but they're not followers of Jesus. They might go to church a few times a year when they have to, or if they're in a crisis, they might call out to God in prayer for him to help them out or their consciences might get tugged occasionally they might feel guilty about this or that and not know how to deal with it but that doesn't mean that they're a believer or a follower of Jesus you can believe that God exists but that doesn't mean you follow him if I was to ask If you believe in the Belfast Giants, you might say, yeah, they're, uh, they were top of the league last year. They're a great ice hockey team. They're great, but do you follow them? Most people don't. You know, if I was to ask if you were a follower of Liverpool or Man United, we might get a few more positive answers. In the same way, many people will say that God exists, but they're not followers of him. Being a believer in the sense that someone is a follower of Jesus is a different thing than just accepting that he's there. It's not enough just to acknowledge that he died on the cross, that he takes away the sin of the world, as some people say. As somebody once says, believing that Jesus died on the cross is just history. But believing that Jesus died on the cross for me and our life being changed, well, that is salvation. Being a believer in the sense of trusting in Jesus, placing our life in his hands, that he died on the cross for me, trusting that we have eternal life, a changed heart, that's what being a follower of Jesus is. It's often been said that actions speak louder than words. And there's many people call themselves Christians. There's many people call themselves Christians who go to church in a number of denominations. And yet they don't have the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in their life. They don't have the evidence that they are changed people. Jesus said, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit (coughs) is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. 
coming back to Man United. I could say I'm a follower of Man United. <laughs> yes, back in 1999 when they were in the, the final of the UEFA Champions League against Bayern Munich and they were 2-1 down and then went into injury time and then they scored an equaliser. And this was getting late at night. Elaine was asleep upstairs. They scored an equaliser, brilliant, but when they scored two goals in injury time they were now leading 3-2. I cheered so much I woke her up <laughs> upstairs. But I would have done that regardless of who was playing. If it had been Liverpool, if it had been Spurs or any other team, I would have been watching the game. That didn't make me a supporter of, of Man United. I could say that when I was five years old, an older cousin of mine, he was just a couple of years older than me, for Christmas, he wanted a Man United kit. And somebody got him a, a kit and somebody got him a pair of Man United socks. So he had this spare set of socks, Man United socks, red and white socks. So he gave them to me. I had a pair of red and white socks. That made me a Man United supporter. <laughs> but I didn't follow the, the team. I didn't keep up with the players. I didn't see how they were doing in the league. I wouldn't know their names. I couldn't really call myself a Man United supporter. If I supported anything, it would have been them. But I didn't follow them. In the same way, people might have been born into a Christian family, in a sense. They might have been brought up going to church as a kid. But that doesn't mean that they're a follower of Jesus now. Many people have some loose connection with God and Jesus, but on a practical basis, they can't really be called disciples or followers of Jesus, just like I can't be called a supporter of Man United. It costs to be a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, just like a football fan will be keeping up with what's happening, where they are in the league, the signings, who's let go, the ins and outs of the manager and all that happens, even going to the matches at times or paying a subscription to, to be able to view them on the TV. It costs to be a follower. It costs to be a follower of Jesus. We need to be Listening to him, hearing what he has to say, putting time in to spend with him. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Before we go into what this means, it's plainly obvious that we have to just give up something in order to follow Jesus. We have to give up our own way. We have to put self on the cross. We have to give up our sinful way of living, our natural sinful way of thinking, 
not always criminal, but a sinful way of living is a self-centered way of living, a self-righteous way of living, where we are self-important, where we rule in our own lives, where we don't submit to Jesus, to God's word. It involves saying no to self and saying yes to Jesus. Dying to self, living for Christ. Taking up our cross daily, putting our old self on the cross, letting it die. And following him. If we hold on to self, we will lose eternity, is what he's teaching us here. But if we let go of self and hold on to Jesus, we gain eternal life. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. We've to let go of self and hold on to Jesus. I was reading this week about a movie from 2013. It was called Terms and Conditions May Apply. One of the things that uh, that the movie highlights is that it would take the average American 180 hours per year to read all the terms and conditions that they have to click on for websites when they're buying stuff, when they're following things or, or whatever. It's no wonder that most people just tick the box and don't even think about it. The point of the movie is that we're often agreeing to things that could end up costing us, which we never expected. But when it comes to following Jesus, sometimes in our evangelism we don't actually explain the terms and conditions. Sometimes people don't realize that there's a commitment. It's not just about Receiving benefits. When the road is difficult and Jesus calls us to suffer, we ask why. We must count the the cost before committing to follow him. And then follow. It'll be worth it. It's never an easy road following Jesus, but it's a blessed road. question is then are we following Jesus or or are we just taking his name are we just believing he exists or are we living our lives walking with him each day are we taking his name in vain or are we taking his name in truth we need to hear and obey his voice the second thing I'd like to focus on is, is really whether we're listening to his voice Hearing and obeying don't come naturally. Hearing we might hear, but that's not necessarily going to be followed by obeying. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they mentioned that they they lost their hearing aid, so they're struggling to hear a wee bit. They can still do well, but it would have been easier if they hadn't lost their hearing aid. And he was telling me about when he first 
went to get his ears tested. And he says to the woman who was testing him, do you know, my wife says that there's times when I don't really hear what she says. <laughs> and uh, the woman says, hold on now. I can, I can help fit you with a hearing aid, but I can't do any. I can't give you a listening aid. <laughs> there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing, it goes in the ear, but listening, we pay attention to it and do something about it. It's not enough just to hear God's word. We need to listen to it and put it into action. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It was a Bible college tutor, <clears throat> Bill Donahue. He tells of a, a situation where he learned this in real life, visiting a farm where two of his students lived. When their father, Tom, the farmer, asked if Bill would help call in the sheep, he was enthusiastic. He says, yeah, fine. Sheep calling was like preaching, he thought, as he watched the 25 sheep grazing on the field. Go ahead, Tom dared him. Call them in. What do you say, he asked. Well, I just say, hey, sheep, come on in. So, no sweat, he thought. And he began... to speak but Tom says well you're 75 yards away from them you need to speak up loudly so Bill he got the best preaching voice on that he could and he really projected the sheep on the field beyond could have heard him but not one of them turned Not, not even an ear twitched And the farmer smiled sarcastically. Do they not teach you the Bible at seminary? Have you never read, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me? And so he raised his voice only a little bit, and he says, Hey, sheep, come on in. And all 25 sheep turned, and they just ambled towards him. They recognized his voice. They listened to his voice. The sheep who don't belong to Jesus don't listen to him and won't respond to his voice. But when the owner of the sheep calls, those who are his followers hear and respond. The question is, are we responding to the voice of our master? There's times when we don't. The psalmist said, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. But now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. The point was that it's not just a case of going through the motions, going to the temple, giving your burnt offering or whatever. It's a case of doing it from the heart listening to and obeying God. In the Hebrew, the the original words are, you've dug out my ears. You've made me listen. The Hebrew is, you've dug out my ears. I know about you, but if you've got, if you've got earwax, it's very hard to hear. But if somebody digs out the earwax from your ears, you can hear better. 
And that's the idea in, in the Hebrew. You've dug out my ears, God. I can hear better. I no longer have something blocking me. That's a metaphor for how the heart has been changed. It's not just about the ears, the digging out of the ears, getting rid of the earwax. That's to illustrate that the heart has been changed and made more sensitive to hearing God. He didn't just want people to go through the motions of going to the temple or going to church today, giving a burnt offering and the heart wasn't changed, singing the songs of worship, but not really being warm towards the Lord. He wanted a heart that was changed, a heart of love, of grace, of compassion, of obedience. Sometimes we're stuck in a rut in our discipleship. Our growth in the Lord seems to be just stagnant. In fact, it's often been said that growing in the Lord, it's like being on one of those escalators at the, at the airport, except you're going in the other direction. The escalator, if you stand still, the escalator's taking you backwards. Sin will take us backwards. We have to be positively walking, not only and fast enough to overcome that, although we're just standing still, we need to walk fast enough so we're actually making progress despite that pulling us back. Sometimes we find that we're struggling with the same issue year after year. Over and over we're being defeated. We're losing the spiritual battle. It might only be in one area of our Christian life or it might be in everything. Are we we just the same person we were five or ten years ago? Or have we matured and grown in the Lord? Did all our spiritual growth happen when we first came to the Lord? Or have we been maturing since then? Have we gone from being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to just, have we gone back to just being a believer in him almost? Or are we still a follower of him? Day after day, trusting and obeying, regardless of how we feel. If we can ask ourselves one thing each day, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today that I should be doing? And what is it that you don't want me to do today that I ought not to be doing? Maybe that's two things. Put it in another way. In what way am I walking in the flesh that I ought to be walking in the spirit? And if we just tackle one thing at a time, one thing a day, then over over time we will end up walking with him more closely. What do we need to stop doing and what do we need to do? If we need strength, the Holy Spirit will give it to us. He will empower us to do all we need to do. The wise old hymn says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust is putting our faith in God's word. Obedience, obeying, is living by God's word. Not living by our natural way of thinking, but letting God's word determine what we think. The disciple will never learn or improve 
unless we give in to God's word, unless we submit to his word, unless we are taught, unless our stubbornness is put to one side, obedience involves submission to God's will and faith and trust that God will help us to do what he calls us to do. We need to listen and hear and obey and follow. But how can a struggling heart do that? How can we stir up our love for the Lord? The Spanish explorer Cortes landed at Veracruz in 1517, 1519 to begin his conquest of Mexico and he had a small force of just a few hundred men, 700 men. And legend has it that he set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. He landed in this new land and in order to motivate his followers, his, his, his men, he cut off, he burned his bridges, he cut off the way back. The only way was forward. As part of our commitment as Christ's disciples, we must, we must cut off all means of retreat. We mustn't have a sort of a half-hearted, well, we'll put one foot into the following Jesus, but we'll keep another foot in the world just in case it becomes difficult. We can't serve two masters. We need to be all in for Jesus. But how can we rekindle our love for him and follow him more fervently? Well, first we need to <coughs> we need to look to Jesus. In him we see the Father's heart. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We need to look at what Jesus did for us. Into our world of suffering and sin, he came. And he walked in our shoes. And yet he didn't sin. He's the first person who's never sinned. And he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. He died on the cross. He took our shame. He took our penalty of sin so that we would be able to come into the presence of the Father cleansed, righteous, forgiven. The more we look at the cross, the more we look at what Jesus has done for us, the more we realize how much we have been forgiven, the more we will love him more. Those who have been forgiven little, they don't really see the cross as being a big deal. They don't love very much. But those who see their sin so closely, those who see what Jesus has done for them, they love him with a deeper love. Look at his agony forsaken by the Father, taking our sin on upon himself so that we would not perish in eternal hell, but would receive the gift of eternal life, eternal joy, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sin. That's why God the Father gave the Son, so that whoever believes or trusts in him will have eternal life and will not perish. 
Look at his love, his humility, his grace, his mercy, his holiness. Like the bride who speaks tenderly and with desire for her bridegroom in the Song of Solomon, we too as the church, as the bride of Christ, our hearts should long for him, to be close to him. The more we look to him and worship and admire him, the more our hearts will be stirred to listen to him, to follow him, to obey him. In encouraging us to be not just simply those who believe that Jesus exists, but to be disciples, to be followers of Christ. Let me just finish with six points on discipleship that are the focus of a book by Jeremy Linman. The first is that discipleship centers on Christ. It'll be life-giving if it's focused on Christ. Not church, not rules, not moralism, but Christ. Our discipleship should, prim- our discipleship should primarily be marked by life, not stagnation, joy, not defeat, encouragement, not gossip. Discipleship centers on Christ. Discipleship, the second point, is grace-filled. True discipleship recognizes that spiritual transformation comes through God's grace, not just our effort. We need to, we need to put in our effort, but relying on his grace. But it's not our effort in our own strength. It's not legalism, it's not moralism. It's by grace. The third point is discipleship is a process. When we place our faith in Christ, it's not as though we've arrived. We have to keep on growing in sanctification. It doesn't happen overnight. We become more mature as we walk more consistently with the Lord. The fourth point, discipleship is being with Christ. The first invitation of discipleship is not to, is not simply to, for growth or for change or even obedience. The first call in discipleship is to come, as Jesus says, come to me. It's spending time with him. It's relational. It's not just about doing things. It's, it's relational. Being with Christ. Fifth, discipleship is a way of becoming like him. Once we've spent time with him, we'll gradually become more like him. Paul writes to the Corinthians, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Discipleship is about being changed into his image. And discipleship happens together. Our being and becoming like Christ is deeply personal. It's not something we can do privately. It doesn't happen in a primarily me and Jesus context. It's instead the best possible place for spiritual transformation is the local church. Lindman writes. We could add it takes a village to rear a child. That's often been said. 
not just a family, it takes a community to rear a child. And the same is true for discipleship. It takes a, a church for believers to grow in sanctification. Sometimes it's being part of church that sanctifies us. It's not always straightforward. We're, we're not all perfect people. But as we persevere with one another, as we encourage one another, as we rebuke one another, as we are rebuked by each other, as we are encouraged by others, as we use our spiritual gifts and others use their spiritual gifts for the building up of the church, we all grow together. And there's a special blessing that Christ gives that only happens when his people come together. He promises that when that happens, he will be there in the midst of us. Are we a believer? Simply just believing that Jesus exists? Or are we a disciple, a follower of Jesus? By God's grace, in the light of his forgiveness and mercy, let's be disciples, let's be followers of Jesus. Let's look to him and let's not just take the name. Let's walk the walk. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that being a disciple isn't just about ticking boxes about things that we're meant to believe. But it's about a relationship of following you. It's about knowing you. It's about walking with you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us all that we need. You've given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. You've given us your word to encourage us. You've given us your presence to strengthen us. You've given us the hope of eternity ahead to encourage us. Lord, help us. Forgive us when we have been lukewarm. Lord, stir us up that we may follow you. Lord, be gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen.